we've been looking at glory, and we were provoked to look at glory because of the role Jesus said it played in his prayer to his Father in John 17, um, when he said that I have given them the glory that you gave me so they would be one, even as we are one, which is quite a measurement of oneness, and that the world would know that they sent me. So we started looking at glory, and we went back and realized that glory was at the root, or the hope of glory especially, was at the root of the Apostle Paul's release into the gospel all throughout the rest of the known world, uh, beyond, beyond the Jews. And so that linked up in our, in our understanding hope and glory. And so now we're going to be uh, uh, looking at hope a little bit tonight. And we have just a hair, but I want to read a passage that is uh, kind of an important passage about hope, and it's one that's um, familiar. It's so familiar, in fact, that I misquote it pretty much every time I read it. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, and it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So, interestingly, hope is linked with incredible stuff in the Scripture. Uh, it's linked there with faith, and it's linked with the, with the, the heavenly realm and what we see and can't see here. Uh, there's a lot of other scriptures that admonish us not to live by sight, but to live by faith. And hope is an integral part of that as a result of that connection. And so we're going to look a little bit more at what hope is. What I've discovered is I've talked to people and we kicked it around a little bit on Tuesday night. I've read a bunch of stuff. I've listened to other people's thoughts about hope. I've looked up all the scriptures. Now, I, I, I haven't absolutely dived into everyone because there's hope in a lot of places. But I've looked at, at, at a lot of this concept of hope and I've discovered almost universally, that it goes, the definition of it and our thoughts about it are everything from kind of a expressed preference of something in the future. Like, I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, either somebody's not a Broncos fan or they are familiar with the state of the team. Um, that does serve to illustrate that you can use the word hope independent of evidence. And then uh, some, somebody the other day said, well, at least you're not hoping the Lions win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so, you know, what I'm saying is there's a kind of hope that is detached from likelihood, detached from probability, detached perhaps from evidence. And then there's another kind of hope that's at the far end of the spectrum, which is just reeking of, uh, of assurance and, and confidence and stuff along those lines. And so it seems like hope is, um, the word hope and the concept of hope definitely relates to something future. That's kind of common throughout it. But it also can cover the whole spectrum from a, a, a deep, deep assurance, a deep, deep conviction, a very, very high likelihood almost an assurance. And so like when mixed with faith here, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the guarantee, the, the, the extreme likelihood. All right. So with that in mind, let's bring this concept into a little bit more focus. Now, this was the jumping off point uh, about, about uh, hope for Paul. And last week we introduced this concept uh, by talking a little bit about how Paul said, describing his conversion on the Damascus Road, that when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, not to me, 
And unfortunately, there are a few, very few, modern translations that say to. There's no justification in the language for that to say to. The word is ain, and ain doesn't mean to. Ain means in. So Paul was saying that that when God was pleased to reveal Christ in him. Now keep in mind that in the moment, in the moment that that was revealed to Paul, he was actually on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest and persecute the very people to whom and in whom Christ had been revealed. And it didn't take a lot of persuading. If you remember the brightness of that revelation, and he was knocked to the ground, and, uh, and he said, you know, Lord, who are you? And Jesus was very plain with it about that. So anyway, the revelation of Christ in Paul was his conversion. Now, it wasn't the first dealings that Christ had with Paul, because in that same passage of Scripture, he says, uh, he who called, when he who called me from my mother's womb, now this is Paul speaking after his conversion. This is in Galatians. When he who called me from my mother's womb, so all of a sudden now, Paul has this experience that seems like a brand new experience, a brand new relational experience where Christ is revealed in him. But the reality is, later as he got to know what was going on and got the revelation of the gospel, he was able to say with assurance, when he who has called me from my mother's womb, that was a long time before the road to Damascus. So the interaction between Jesus and Paul, Jesus and Saul of Tarsus, had been going on for a long time. A long time. The whole time of Paul's life plus his gestation period. So, this is where he then says in this passage of Scripture that this mystery, and I I had to shorten this just so it fit on screen, but this mystery that's been hidden from ages past and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints, manifest to the saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. The glory of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. All right, so having looked into this and realizing that even when Jesus first said, Father, I've given them the glory, talking about the disciples and all of us who believe on him because of their word, after John 14.20, or 17.20, that we probably have underestimated both glory and when it's linked like this, hope. Because both are associated with Christ and with the gospel that drove Paul to the Gentiles and with the redemptive plan of God and the whole thing. So that's why we're looking at glory and that's why we're looking at hope. Glory produces a kind of oneness. Glory fills the earth. Or as we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago, The fullness of the earth is the glory of the Lord. The fullness of the earth is the glory of the Lord. And and I can't go back through that translation again, but we'll show you. It's it's, uh, Young's literal. Just check it out. It's uh, 6.3, I think. Isaiah 6.3, if I remember correctly. All right. So let's see what we can pull from this. One is that Christ himself somehow creates the hope of glory in us. Whatever that is, Christ himself somehow creates that. We're going to come back to that concept because 
And I think it's important. It's, one, it's what I'd like us to take away from tonight, if we can, about hope. In all the discussions I've had about hope, it has always been evaluated in our discussions over the last few weeks. It has always been evaluated from my perspective. In other words, I can have hope or I can have a, you know, I think we talked uh, uh, this, this Tuesday a little bit about how it's kind of like a possibility. That's sort of on the low end. It's an assurance that's kind of on the high end. But it's all been talked about, about how it flows out of our heart, how we think about it, how we talk about it, what it stirs up in us. And there's, I think that's real. I think hope is something we engage in and that engages with us. But I think there's more. And this shows that there is more. It wasn't just glory or even the hope of glory in the Gentiles that drove the apostle into the gospel ministry. It was Christ in them, the hope of glory. So the very presence of the Lord is the source of that hope. The very presence of the Lord is the source of that glory. And I say that even though you probably can't necessarily draw it from this, but we'll see it as it comes up. Okay, the next verse I want to look at is this one in 1 Thessalonians 2, 18 and 20. This is a place where Paul is in, uh, uh, is in prison and, and he's writing to the Thessalonians and says, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? Look at this. This was something that I hadn't thought of until I saw this, but it reflected back on that passage uh, that Robert Alter and Young's literal translated out of Isaiah 12, or uh, 6-3, Isaiah 6-3. The fullness of the Lord is, is uh, I mean, the fullness of the earth is the Lord's glory. So the earth coming into its own, the earth being what it's designed to be, is the glory of the Lord. There's uh, another passage of Scripture that talks about glory, and it says, that um, the glory of youth, uh, the glory of a young man, is his strength. Uh, there's a passage that talks about the glory of a woman is her hair. It talk, you know, so there's this thing about how the, the glory of a parents is their children becoming who they are, being who they are destined to be. And that begins to make some sense to us. And so the hope of glory in this situation is that these people, themselves become hope. And I'd never thought of that before. Hope is more personal than I thought. It's not just a random or a a stewarded emotion in us. It's not like a weaker version of faith or a more natural version of the spiritual component of faith. Hope can actually be a person. Hope can actually be the thing like the earth and, and its fullness. Okay? Even you, in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming. What an interesting qualifier. Hope is built on a relationship and the expectations around that relationship. When Paul was talking about the mystery that's been hidden through the ages, but now it's been revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's talking about a relationship that he is going forth to announce between the Messiah and the Gentiles. A relationship between 
God and people. The source of hope and the source of glory is related to that relationship. And this is one where Paul takes that naturally, and he's talking about his longing to be with these Thessalonian believers that he loves. And he says, is it not even you? In answer to the question, who is our hope and our joy and our crown? Now, we could take a diversion and get on a little rabbit trail about joy. Same situation. Is it possible to be joy to one another? Is it possible to be a crown of exaltation? Paul says, are you not epistles testifying of the ministry that I do? You know, So hope is a bigger deal. That's all I'm trying to get us to, to think about. Hope is a bigger deal, and it's a more relational deal, and it's a more personal deal, and it's linked to, to the most stunning realities that exist in both the kingdom of God and on earth. You can be someone's hope. Now, as I just said that, I thought, wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe because in the, it's in the context of relationship, it's, it's just a really gentle, genuine reality, an outshining of, because it's not just, is it not even you, but it's you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming. Now, I don't know how to relate to that at His coming, push that forward, whatever the case is, but it's, it's very similar to what Paul said the mystery being revealed was, which was Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? Make sense? All right. Hope is not the exclusive possession of us. You might think it is. You might think it is because we're people who don't possess everything that we should. We're people who are limited by finiteness. We're people who don't necessarily understand and see the world around us. Why? Because we're finite, because we see through a glass darkly, we prophesy in part. And so it's easy to think that hope somehow gives people who don't have full vision, don't have full possession, don't have full achievement, hope gives us something to fill in the gap. But look at what this says. This is in Romans talking about creation being subjected. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I don't think anybody in here thinks that this verse means anything other than what it says, but that him isn't Adam and his fall subjecting creation to fruit. Because he didn't do that intentionally. He didn't do that in any hope. This is God who has somehow subjected creation to frustration in hope of the outcome that he foresees and that we are destined to have in the glory of the children of God. So let me read again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery. All right. Hope. Have you ever thought of God having hope? So see, that elevates hope beyond just me wishing for something that I can barely see or I'm ignorant of. 
Because God's not ignorant of anything. He can see everything. Hope is a living sort of thing. God acted in hope. God, do you you think God acted just in a wish? Just in a whim? God acted in hope. So hope is, at least in my thinking, what I'm trying to kind of walk you through is that uh, hope is, is growing in facets, growing in beauty, growing in significance. And then all the places it's linked, like look at this, it's linked again to glory. What kind of glory? It's linked again from creation being set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God. So once again, hope is being placed in people rising up and manifesting their created destiny. Rising up and entering the position of authority, the position of deliverers, the position of freers of slaves, the slave of creation. I don't fully understand it all. I've confessed the last few weeks I'm beyond my pay grade on understanding this stuff, but I'm trying to take the Scriptures as seriously and literally as I can without it being weird or anything because this, this, these issues of hope and glory are huge and the promises associated with them are amazing and the role they play in things that we long for I mean, how many of you have ever read Romans 8 and thought about somebody who was sick? Hey, John, thought about somebody who was sick or thought about somebody that needed a miracle or thought about some condition in the country or in the world and you were just longing to be a part of coming into the freedom of your own glory as a child of God. Vicky and I had a little puppy a number of years ago named Fred. And as he was nearing the end of his life, he got, uh, he had a tumor and uh, it was affecting him. And he was, it was, it was sad. I mean, you know what it's like when you have a dog and you love him and it goes on. And I remember sitting on our bed, holding Fred, praying for him, tears just pouring down my face, apologizing to him, saying, Fred, I'm so sorry that I haven't come into the freedom of my own glory as a child of God, to be able to lay my hands on your little body and and just not have a healing theology, just make it right. I mean, all of us have experienced that kind of longing because it's built in us. The longing to be who God made us to be, the longing to walk erect and, 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 and nobly and powerfully. And I think hope and glory are a part of this. That was what caught me so off guard when I read for the thousandth time, but the first time I ever saw it, when Jesus said in John uh, 17, 23 or so, I have, Father, I have given them your glory that they may be one, as you and I are one, so that the world may know. And I've gone to evangelistic conferences. I've read evangelistic material. Nobody ever told me what we really need is to recognize and manifest the glory. Now, people have hinted at it, and I think the Spirit is stirring us. And I think realizing we can pray for the sick out there without having to convert them first, and that, that uh, 
in boldness that you see sometimes on the mission field that you don't see in the local church. We, you know, God's moving, but I want us to move with him. So anyway, when is hope? Now this one, I just, I felt I had to be honest about this scripture. I don't exactly know even what I think about it or how to talk about it. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he has already seen. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. All right, so here's some stuff. In hope, we have been saved. Now this I do know about. Hope has been linked with glory. Hope has been linked with the activities of God preparing for the restoration of creation when the children of God are glorified. Hope is linked with the people in the presence of the Lord at His coming. And hope is linked with our salvation. So if there's any inkling at all that hope is, is that, well, I, I got a good enough idea, hope. Think of the things it's linked with. And here it's linked with salvation. We are saved in hope. So hope must have the capacity to create something. And what if, what if we could think of it like this? What if hope has the capacity to create a space in our heart or our mind or our spirit where we hold things, maybe even in our vision? Hope can create room, a space, for the full, glorious manifestation of what we are currently experiencing and believing for? What if hope is the mechanism that God has given us to be able to see things before they exist and to attach ourselves, to anchor ourselves? There's a place in Scripture that talks about hope being an anchor. What if hope is the gift, is the mechanism what if hope is spiritual, emotional, and, and, and soulish or cyclic or I don't know exactly how to say it. What if it creates the place in you to interact with, to hold on to, and to be the assurance of the thing that you're hoping for? I believe that, that Paul put up with what he put up with, being... Uh, stoned to death almost a couple of times, being shipwrecked, all the stuff he said, because of the hope that he realized when he realized that Jesus Christ in the Gentiles was the hope of glory. I think that's why he put up with his uh, departure from Judaism to the extent that he did, and why he was willing to uh, not have to consult with the apostles to get approval, because he had a thing that had get, that God gave him that, that revolved around this idea of hope and glory. And that's what I want us to have. Because I, how many of you think there is room in your life with God and your life with the people around you for an elevated vision of glory? I do. And I don't, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I, 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 and I, if it were, 
If it were easy, I suppose everybody would do it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what stands in that way, except it makes sense to me that when we are called as children of God out of darkness and we're called out of blindness and out of ignorance, that there's a process. And I know that there's process in the Scripture. Walk out your salvation in fear and tremor. The Gnomai word that we've talked about several times here. That's a process to become, to become, to become. And we're fully embraced by our Papa. We are fully engaged by Jesus, and we are fully uh, in and with by the Holy Spirit the moment we are moving in direction of our destiny and our, our glory. But the way we are, there's room for more revelation. There's room for more reality. And I think that's part of it. So that's maybe what hope does, is it, it links us to the future, but not just in a wait-and-see mode. It links us to the future in a literal connection right now that lives inside me. Does that make sense? So Paul had that right now connection that drove him to the Gentile mission field. And you look at the things that got Paul out there. It wasn't much. It was a dream of a man in Troas saying, come over here. It was, uh, and he was still being led by the Spirit, you know, uh, and, and, and he, he didn't uh, immediately go into Philippi, try to rent the big auditorium stadium coliseum that was there. He stopped and talked to a woman on the side of a river. He saw something, hope. He believed in that. And it, it, it served him well. If you keep reading uh, on in Romans, we're going to get to another Romans passage, but even what Paul said to the Roman believers and what Paul said to the various people that he was on trial before and stuff before he got there. It was extraordinary. He was a man who had incredible hope in the power of Jesus to transform life and culture and everything. So so if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Um, I don't know what it means to say there, Hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he's already seen. I totally understand that. If you're uh, hoping for a Christmas present, uh, you quit hoping for it when you get it. Okay, so that part I understand. But in this realm, this bigger realm, this realm of glory, this realm of Christ in us being revealed, and Christ in our neighbor being revealed, hope seems to play a role while the process is developing, while the, the revelation is coming. All right, now this is the last scripture I've got. This is in, in Romans chapter 15. And uh, i got to give Vicki some credit for this. She was on our Tuesday night discussion, guys. And then I got home pretty late Tuesday because we hung around for a little while. I got home and then uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking before we went to sleep that night. And she had found this verse and it, it just became the centerpiece of the next level of understanding for me. And I'm hoping that it, it'll serve that function for you tonight. And then we're going to have some time to uh, break out the mic and talk about this. So there's two or three things I want to point out of this verse. This is Romans uh, 15, 12 and 13. Paul reaches back and he pulls on a prophecy of Isaiah. Again, Isaiah said, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. 
I'm going to go up and see if I can illustrate this. I wonder if the, our writing thing is working. We haven't used it in a long time. Okay. Hey, look at that. Who's the root of Jesse? Jesus. Hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to ask who the Holy Spirit is, right? The God of hope. You see the triune nature of that? All that God is, all that He has revealed to us, is wrapped up in hope. Remember I said that God acted in hope when He subjected creation to frustration? Not willing, but in hope. The God of hope. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are linked to our hope. I thought it was a big deal that hope was linked to glory. I thought it was a big deal that it was linked to to Jesus Christ. The hope in you, the hope of glory because of His redemptive work. But this goes beyond redemptive work. This goes back to the very nature of God, the very center, the one from whom all exists. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is the God of hope. Now, this doesn't say God is hope like my other four God is, but I looked at that. Hope's a noun in this case, and it is identifier of who God is. The God of hope. Now, what is the implication of that? That's a prayer. That's one of those request things. That's a declaration of expectation and anticipation on the part of the apostle. That God is going to do something. What God? The God of hope. Now, this is, this is what started to kind of freak me out. The reason when Vicki shared this with me, and I started looking it up, and then I had a conversation with Jason. Jason's got this printed on his Bible, and, you know, there's some good stuff. The thing that seemed to be missing in all the conversations that I had had in the last two weeks about hope with people was that it was all about us. And it almost always either got in kind of a, oh, well, that's just where my hope level is, or it, it had the, uh, the horrible potential to become another work another responsibility. Just lay another load on my back because I need more hope, deeper hope, more glorious hope. And I I, I didn't even recognize why I was chafing against that and why I was resisting that as the final word about hope. Because I'm all for being inspirational. I'm all for trying to stir up hope in us, in you. But if the effectiveness of hope depends on you or me stirring it up in one another, we're in trouble. It has to come from a bigger source than, than my teaching or eloquence or your intensity or whatever. And it was so important because it was linked with glory, it was linked with Deliverance, it was linked with all these amazing things. Well, this totally answers it, doesn't it? The God of hope. May the God of hope fill you. 
with all joy and peace in believing. Do you understand that that takes this beyond and out of the realm of work? And it takes it into the realm of gifting. It takes it into the realm of blessing. Into the realm of, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Let me not just give you something. Let me give you some of me. Some of me. Well, no wonder that the mystery which was hidden from ages past and generations, but it's now been revealed to the saints, was such a big deal to Paul that it radically changed his whole life. Because it wasn't just an abstract hope. It was Paul realizing, Papa, you're giving you in them. You're going to be in them. You're going to manifest you. You're giving you to them. That's what we're doing. Now, I've spent a long part of my pastoral and professional and Pentecostal life trying to get all the gifts I can get from God. In the last few years, I've realized I would much, much prefer, and I do much prefer, and it's such a deep, satisfying, life-giving joy when He gives me Him. Because all His gifts come with Him. All the hope comes with Him. And look at this. Father, You're the God of hope. Jesus, You're the God of hope. Root of Jesse. That's why the Gentiles are going to trust in you even as you rule over them. How's that for awesome? And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, what? We're being given joy in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can abound in hope. You mean I don't have to analyze my wish level of hope at the bottom? And then somehow pump it up with whatever, faith or revelation or inspiration? No, how about you abound in hope because of the very power that is in you already as a, as a, as a gift, a promise of the Father at the day of Pentecost? How about the, the same thing that saved you has the power to fill you with hope? Well, then that link it back to that last scripture we just looked at. How about the one that we're anticipating his return is the one that gives you hope, his hope. And then when you look at this idea of with all joy and peace and believing, I love the fact that Jesus said to his disciples, my joy I give to you. Not as the world gives, right? My joy. So that means you don't just have to have a particularly uh, sensitive funny bone or to be particularly sensitive and ticklish to have joy. That would be a terribly unfair thing for people who don't like to be tickled. Joy is not that. It's not a natural byproduct. It's not just the result of a, a, a bubbly rather than a sanguine personality. Joy is a gift from the one who 
was anointed above all his brethren with the oil of gladness, right? The most joyous being in all of time and cosmos. Jesus gave his joy to us. And he also said at the same time, my peace I give to you. He spoke that to his disciples. Peace. You feel the Holy Spirit. That means that hope in my heart right now and in my spirit, in my mind, my life, can be legitimately elevated to the level of the very presence of God being imparted to me as a child of the Father. That when Jesus drew me into himself and you into himself, he drew us into hope. And, and so John 14 now, Tim, is so easy to translate into that. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. Well, who's I'm in you? That's the God of hope, the root of Jesse, the spirit of power. We've undersold hope. Do you see that? We've taken possession of it in our minds as a responsibility rather than as an impartation of the, of the divine nature, the divine personality. And now we have a chance to rethink that. And we have a chance, I think, for the Holy Spirit to confirm that in ways that I've longed for my whole life. And I, I can only barely imagine how he might do that. Or she might do that, depending on your persuasion. All right, so we have some time. Are you? Good. Let me turn this on. I'm going to go ahead and put it back here, Ronnie. Riley, you can, you can capture this if I scoot it to the back, right? I just want you guys to feel free to come up. we got a few minutes. And I, I, I don't want to be the only person answering these questions. Uh, so you're welcome to share what you want. But if you have a thought about hope, if you could tell me what this, this thought does for you. I don't expect us to make the whole journey from hope just being uh, a, a human emotion that I have stewardship over and responsibility towards to the fact that I have received a part of the God of hope. And it's gonna, he is going to manifest in me in a certain way. So on Tuesday... A couple of weeks ago, you brought up the foundational or a new concept for me when it said, when scripture translates says the fullness of the earth is God's glory. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of hope. I'm sorry, glory. Mm -hmm. That made me think of glory has something to do with being created or God's creation. Right. So, because the earth is created by God. So that being his glory tonight, you said a whole lot of words. And I realize words are kind of what we do to communicate concepts and mm -hmm. conceptualizations. So I wrote down what I thought was interesting is it seems like hope and glory are very similar in some sense or in some senses. And it seems like both hope and glory have something to do with influencing or being a part of creating something. So relationship to creation or it's part of creation it is creation and then i wrote even that hope might even be a seed that's planted in us that seems invisible but in our heart 
it's visible. That's another way of thinking of that. What I was trying to say about maybe it makes room in us for this thing that God is, has created and destined us to be, but it's calling out of us. That's right, Larry. I'm just joking. For the right here. Anyways, um, so the main idea that I was coming up with is that it could be that hope and glory are two words that describe a very similar thing. I, I would say uh, I, I would I would say maybe, but I would say that they're like two words that describe two parts of the same thing. Yeah. The, the two parts are associated with destiny. They're associated with God's purpose. And and so they're 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 different because the glory is a manifestation and the hope is the assurance or something in the beginning, but they do describe the same thing. But when we were talking, for example, when one of the scriptures talked about you are our hope, I think it's because Paul planted. Sorry to get so yeah. weird with this, but planted seeds in these people. Sure, sure. There's nothing wrong with that. That thought. was growing, and the hope was the growth of that seed, which is into. I mean, Life a farmer plants in hope, right? Nobody, nobody, no farmer throws seed in the ground without the expectation of it growing. So it's a part of it. Hope is a part of it. Hope is a part of life. But what's kind of cool is I can give you hope. And so I think that's part of what God puts in me, gives me the ability to share hope. And you know what? It doesn't take anything away from me. Being able to give him hope, it actually blesses oh, yeah. me. It's, it's not a zero-sum base, yeah. absolutely. I'm going to move it up here so Riley has a little easier time. So what I'm hearing you say, if we're not striving for hope and it's a gift from God, we know that there's people in the world who are hopeless. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to that? Uh, well, we, we certainly have gifts that we don't recognize. And in the in the alienation or the ignorance of those gifts, uh, you know, there are some gifts, like certain aspects of the gift of life that we have, being made in His image and, and being alive. You don't really have to recognize it to get some of the benefit of it. I mean, people who don't recognize life as a gift still get up and breathe and eat, and you know, they 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 are alive in the technical sense. But there are other gifts that are intrinsic to that that you don't you don't experience the benefit of until you're aware of it. And, uh, and I think that hope might be one of those. I think that might be kind of what you're alluding to. That this is something to be conscious of, and it's linked with, and, and that's, I think, why it's such a prominent word in, in the description of the plan of God, the redemption of God, the gift of the Son, and all that kind of stuff. This might be something. This is kind of what I'm sort of stirred up about is... Um, is the idea that this thing, which in the natural might be sort of hidden, and of course in the past was hidden, you know, the hope aspect of Christ and us, the hope of glory, Paul said was hidden from generations and ages past. Um, so a revealed thing is then something that you hear and you put faith to that and believe it. And that's why I think this scripture says, may, may the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, believing. I think that's the missing ingredient for people that don't have hope. And, uh, okay, so here's an, an, an illustration. When Vicki and I were back in, in Washington, uh, we went to the, a little workshop with the guy that does the uh, slave deliverance in the Pakistani brickyards. And one of the reasons that they have schools in the brickyards as the first stage 
of trying to get these people delivered is because their hopelessness of ever getting out of that lifestyle, it's not even like, as I was listening to it, it's not even like they think about getting out of the lifestyle and don't have the hope that they can. Their, Their hopelessness takes the form of not even knowing there's an alternative. And so when they start educating the children and the children start educating their mom and dad, then all of a sudden the possibilities open up and hope is right there. They don't have to be instructed in hope. Hope is the natural byproduct of beginning to see that there's options. And so that's, I think, an illustration even of... And so what is it that we can bring? What is it we can share? And that's why I think this... Because for those of you that remember... Does that make any sense, Jen? Um, for those of you that remember the, the evangelistic part of this that we talked about a little bit, is that idea of glory, you can come on up, Dave, that idea of glory being given so that we could be one, if you don't recognize you're one, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're an island out there. But once you realize, I belong, I belong to the family of God. I belong to the Father. I belong in the Son, and the Son belongs in me. Then all of a sudden, the possibilities are just limitless. So that reminds me of something I was reading about uh, Booker T. Washington when he was uh, when he was after the Emancipation Proclamation, Amendment 13, 14, 15, and 16. This when the slaves were off the plantation, they had been worked all of their lives, and they did not want to work because they never saw the benefit of working uh. until uh, Booker T. rode up in his carriage and took them to his house for dinner and showed them that work can give you all of this. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So see, hope is related to vision and hopelessness is related to a lack of vision, a lack of seeing things as they are. Now, not imagination only, because if it were just imagination, it would be a hard sell. But there is a reality that hope is placed in. Richard. Uh, personal experience where God has spoken to me and I had faith and I had faith for that and, and that hope was there in the future of what it, I could see it. I mean, I, I could see it in my, my spirit and it, and it came to pass. Mm-hmm. And that's just a personal experience that I've had several times where God has placed that whatever it may be and I've had that faith for it, but it was hope for it to come to pass. Yeah, absolutely. And hope kind of, did, did hope define it or did faith define it? Which, which gave the detail to it? Was hope general and faith specific or was the hope something specific and faith began to add the substance to it? It was initiated by the faith, but the hope brought the life. That's what I'm saying. I think this is something, like you said, Ronnie, like a seed or something. I think this is something that, that is a gift from God to carry, to, to, to provide us a connection with who we've been made to be and who other people are made to be. Yes, sir. I'm going to throw something out that's interesting to me. might be weird. I think that we all have hope because God gave it to us. And when the Scripture says without hope, without faith, or without uh, where they were had enmity against God or with God without hope in the world, uh, that, that you were alienated, uh, yeah, that, that you were without God and without hope in the world. So I 
right now don't really know, but I'm just going to guess that that wasn't really without hope. That was without a lot of hope. There was some hope there. Reason why is because I've been in a place in life where I had very little hope and I felt like dying, like dead, gone, just wanted to be out of here. And I believe that what pulled me out of that was eventually a little bit more hope, a little bit more hope, and eventually more enough hope that I could now be the smiling guy in front of you. Yeah, well, here's how I think about something like that. If, if God is the God of hope, then hope exists all the time in God, yeah. all the time. We may or may not experience a measure of it at any given point in time, or that may vary. But that explains how things look different from God's perspective. And God has hope. But I'm going to even propose that without hope, we die. What do you think about that? I mean, there may be different levels of hope, but if it's totally gone, I think we're dead. I don't know. That's There's just a book a one time titled that. This is, this is the first time I've been to a church where we could come up and comment on the pastor's sermon after he's given it. This is great. <laughs> Good. So, uh, so there's a verse that I quote to myself a lot that says, uh, it's in the psalm that says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. Um, and sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Because I'm always looking inside myself saying, well, it's up to me to create that hope. Right, right. I, have to make, I have to pick myself up and make myself feel better. Now, I don't know how many times I've read this verse, uh, probably quite a bit in my life, and never really understood the meaning of that. So that was great that you pointed that out, that that's that he's the, God is of the hope. Lord that does that for us. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we have to muster up on our own to, to keep that hope alive inside of us. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is I have, I have some friends over the years who have done the same thing that some of these uh, prominent Christians have done, whether a worship leader or a pastor, where they've turned away from the faith. So they've been immersed in the Christian world. They've been around a bunch of people who sing songs, read verses, and make these, we claim the promises of God, and yet they never see anything manifest. They never see anything. They never see the healings. And I've done the same thing. I went to the Bible college up the street. I prayed for probably 100 people, and I don't think I, I, don't think I ever saw anybody get healed from something. It was very rare that we saw somebody get a healing or some sort of a thing, and, and when something did happen, they made such a big deal out of it. They would, they would make videos, put the videos on the websites. Oh, look at this person got healed. But what about the thousands who didn't see anything? The conclusion that I came to on that is that we are, we are trying to do it in our own strength. The same way that I keep going back to that verse and trying to pull that hope out of myself, I'm not looking to the Lord. Yeah. We call that the, the, the we, I call it the X factor. Like, what is this, what is this missing thing that keeps this stuff from happening? What, what is this? And I finally came to the conclusion that it is literally Jesus. We're not inviting, we're not asking Jesus. We're, we're trying to take the things that we've learned in Bible college, the scriptures we've memorized, even songs that we sing, and we're using those as the basis for why we think things should work. But we're not coming to the Lord for this. And so when, when you were talking about this, the example that came to my mind was, was this. I'm a United States citizen, and I was in Mexico a couple months ago. If I'm in Mexico and I get arrested or someone does something to me, what rights do I have as, an, as a U.S. citizen in the country of Mexico? I have none. It doesn't matter what the Bill of Rights says. I can't claim anything there because I'm not in the United States. I'm in Mexico. So what right do I have to claim healing, to claim freedom from 
debt to claim any, anything that I want the Lord to do for me if I'm not in Him. So Now, you're talking about experientially in Him. Uh, it had to be a bigger conversation about ontologically. In other words, are we in Him by virtue of His act, or are we recognizing, yielding to, and living in Him? by virtue of our faith and our act. That's, the latter is what you're talking about. If we're not doing that, it's, it's an odd disconnect to be claiming the rights of that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 Well, now, this is why this gives me hope, though. Because if hope isn't something that, that is just uh, intrinsically mine, primarily mine, but if hope is something that I've been given by God as a gift, well, then I've been given it by a gift. I may not even have unwrapped it. It could be still in the package. It could be tucked in the corner of the closet someplace, and I'm getting zero benefit out of that gift. But what if we unwrap it? What if it's simple? And what if we, like everything else, uh, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives these several easy wills. How many of us came into a, a relationship with a spiritual gift just because somebody told us we could because we exercise a little bit of faith. Somebody was saying, well, you know, you can speak in tongues. Well, no, I can't. And then you just go, well, yeah, you can. Just, you know, or any number of, of those gifts. Same thing goes with healing. I've been fortunate to see a few people heal, but not nearly as many as I prayed for, and not nearly as many as I want. I actually believe that the promises associated with glory and hope are so big because they're relational. And that's the part I absolutely agree with what you're saying relationship, everything in our life is what it is because we are united with Jesus Christ. And the, the degree that we recognize that and stand in that union and live in that union is the degree that he has a chance to be all that he is. He said this to the, to the Pharisees. He said, you search the scripture thinking that in them you find life and they are that which testify of me, but you refuse to come to me and receive life. There's something about hope that we need to receive. And in the receiving, there is a recognition of it. Receive it as a gift from the God of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't let's not turn our nose up at all joy and peace in believing, because that too is a gift being given. Holly? I mean, it's a little bit simplistic, probably, because but, um, Jen and I were talking for like three seconds after Tuesday night. We just stood in the kitchen for a few seconds and talked. Um, about that, the one phrase of, um, of, um, Christ and us, the hope, the glory. And then thinking about Janet and what Janet had said, I think she's on. So Janet um, had, had talked about the, um, the actual definition of hope being about confidence and surety. And so all week I've just been thinking about it over and over because if you just, even just that one sentence, because it says it's a mystery and a glorious mystery and, or the secret. And it literally says the secret is this, like this is the secret. To, and so I told Janet, I was like, either we, talked about nothing tonight or like all like it like like this is the whole deal but the whole deal to me seemed like that one sentence and it was the messiah and if if in really means in and us really means not just us but us the gentiles the everybody the the world so if the if like if there's a huge secret where it's the messiah really literally inside us literally really all and that is the confidence and that is the glory and so i've been thinking about those definitions and thinking about what that means but like like the confidence and the um 
the the surety, the however you want to say that for the hope, and then the glory being, you know, whatever you have, there's so many, but the splendor, the, the unspoken manifestation, that's one that kept stick, sticking with me, is if that's, that is the unspoken manifestation of God on the earth, mm-hmm. like that's the whole gig. And yeah, so, it is. So it's like, it's like that one sentence, even though it was just a short sentence, if we really believe every word of it, I think that's the secret. Like he tells us, this is the secret. So then to me tonight, I was like, wow, no wonder that a thing goes, oh, then this is the power. Then I mean, this is the um, the peace and this is the joy. So no wonder we have joy. And then even thinking of peace, because peace isn't just like a nice feeling, but it's shalom, which is literally means nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing lacking. So if we can really just grab hold of, he is in us. That is my confidence. That is the unspoken manifestation of the living God on the earth. And that is how we enter into joy, but mm-hmm. also into nothing broken, nothing like nothing in us, but nothing broken, nothing missing in us and around us. Yeah, I, I, I think that's brilliant. I don't think that's oversimplified at all. I think that's the point that we're trying to, that I'm trying to, to see here is that this could be the case. And if we could extend one more thing, go back to what Paul said, uh, when it pleased God who had called me from my mother's womb to reveal his son in me. I don't know how to explain that. I think there's a difference. I think there's a meaningful difference when we believe. There's a meaningful difference when we, when we uh, have faith in God, when we believe in His promises, when we do all that. There's a meaningful thing that transpires when that happens. There's a meaningful thing when we choose to receive Him. But that does not mean from His vision and His perspective that we can't look at our neighbor or look at an exchange student, or look at somebody, and go, you have sown in them your very spirit. That is what Joel said. In the last days I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. So there's something of God in them, and they are in Him in a way. Maybe that way is just begging and waiting to be more exemplified and bigger, but, but... What if what if what Holly said is true? Jen? This oh. is an announcement. So. Oh, that's right. Okay, let me get you that. So, so my my admonition is this: as we think about what we're worshiping, what if this is the whole enchilada? What if that's why Jesus summed it up in the last prayer before he went to the cross? What if in the last teaching he gave his disciples before that, he said, "In that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you." And what if that's why we've been missing it and we've been trying to do it, like you said, on the basis of principles that we've pulled out of the Scripture rather than on the basis of the relationship of Christ in us and in that person the hope of glory. I still have hope. And now I realize that the hope was given to me as a gift and I'm going to treasure it more than I treasured my own thought of my hope being self-generated. So, Father, thank you. Help us to understand the precious gift that you've given us, Lord. In Jesus' name. 